Hello and welcome to Opeka's Innovation in Care Collaboration podcast series. My name is Ken McGill. I am a solution-focused care senior scientist here at Opeka. And I've had the honor and privilege to serve as part of a statewide children's system of care for almost 20 years. It was during that time I met amazing thought leaders who shared with me information that I've been able to take with me throughout my career and share with others. So today, today's show is Thought Leaders for Systemic Excellence, Supporting California's Statewide Initiatives. And my guest is Richard Connect. And Richard is currently serving as Thought Leader for Systemic Excellence with Integrated Human Services Group. His work includes supporting both public and private sectors of human services. His career spans over three decades and has fulfilled many different roles, including clinician, executive coach, facilitator, and organizational engineer, all in the support of successful outcomes and operations within all aspects of human services. So thank you, Richard, and we will learn today during this show uh, the open forum series that are provided monthly where people can attend, share, and learn. Thank you, Richard, for taking time out, and thank you all for joining us for today's show. All right. Thank you very much, Richard, for taking time out of your busy schedule to have this amazing chat and looking forward uh, to learning as well as all the people who are tuning into this uh, incredible podcast. Um, a little bit of background. I, I've known you, Richard, for um, about a year now and coming over to Opeka, learning more about the work that you have been doing and have done in supporting California's um, system of care rollout in all the different capacities. So uh, first, I want to say thank you for your service uh, in doing all those wonderful things. And uh, secondly, you wrote an amazing uh, post on LinkedIn that I referred on a, a recent blog where you said that California is really experiencing a tidal wave of uh, a lot of initiatives, including the AB uh, 2083 rollout of a statewide system of care. I'd love to hear more about your thoughts on how we could um, manage all that we have on our plate um, to make it successful. Yeah. Well, Ken, uh, happy to be with you and uh, just really pleased to have an invitation. You know, Pika has been on the um, the cutting edge of um, collaborative healthcare solutions now for a while, and uh, I've enjoyed uh, meeting you in the last year or so. It seems like it's been longer than that, but <laughs> but really happy to have a conversation with you today. Yeah, the, that that LinkedIn post um, uh, garnered a fair amount of attention, um, and it, it it just comes from observation uh, on my part. I'm sure others. Uh, it's not. Uh, it's not unique to my my mindset, but um, you know, for for decades we have, at least in California, tried to solve uh, social ills uh, in and around child and family systems mm -hmm. with um, with resources. It's there there's a um, there's a, a certain approach <clears throat> that says in Sacramento anyway, we have a problem. We go to the legislature, we ask for money. They give us money and we endow that to departments and then we cross our fingers and hope that they can fix it with the dollars. And and uh, the observation, of course, uh, and the empiricism on this suggests that that's not true. Uh, if it were true that it was simply a matter of money, then we'd have solved our school, our public school problems 40 years ago in California when we passed uh, the, the state lottery. Uh, the promise was that we'll never ask you for more money, right? Because we have lottery dollars now. Mm -hmm. S same was true for the Mental Health Services Act about um, 18, 19 years ago, maybe a little longer now. But bottom line is uh, it, the, the, the solutions are never as simple as more dollars. And there are lots of reasons for that. Um, but what, what that observation invites, and there are many other examples as well, what that observation really invites is um, to recognize, I think, for policymakers and leaders in the child and family services arena, certainly, and other aspects of health and human services, probably both public and private, that you know we can continue to throw resources at problems, or we can pause and reflect on how we can re-engineer the systems that 
um, that take responsibility for those resources and try to make uh, effect from them. And that's really what uh, the post was about, was just um, kind of my ranting about the fact that California really should stop the madness, stop trying to solve problems with dollars, and uh, reflect on how to re-engineer its systems. It's, it's really constructive work. Yeah. It's, it's deconstructive first yeah. and then reconstructive uh, afterwards. Um, I, um, I have a, I have a favorite hat. Um, I have, I have a hard hat because this is hard work, right? And, and when you, when you go in, you, you gotta, you gotta act like an engineer or, or think like an engineer, uh, which is really hard for people in the healing professions. We, we tend to be, um, less analytical mm-hmm. and um and and want to do things in a certain way which can be powerful uh, by the same token uh if we don't think like engineers uh, we won't be able to deconstruct and reconstruct the systems which is the essence of collaborative impact uh, for kids and families uh, getting us out of our silos so to speak breaking the barriers if you will so that was really the impetus for the post um uh was to just call attention to the fact that uh, it's not about the money you're going to have to re-engineer the system because the system, the systems currently, plural, are um, not effective in most uh, regards. Absolutely. And, and to think analytically and as a clinician who's been trained in systems theory and understanding that there's a lot that's been learned in implementation science that we do need to take that pause and we do need to have a strategy in this whole process. And you and I have spoken about this. It really does parallel to the child family team level. We can apply it at a larger scale, obviously. What are our needs? What are our strengths? What, you know, what uh, team members do we need to be, um, to be bringing in? And um, then what types of strategies and ultimately the goals that we want to accomplish? So I, um, it, is, it is perfectly parallel. <laughs> I, I think by design, uh, mm-hmm. the, the, the genius of wraparound, mm-hmm. uh, um, uh, John uh, Vandenberg and others who, who championed this for so many years early on, I think recognize this parallelism, right? That if you're going to have uh, impact, uh, for a child and family within their environment, you have to surround them with the right supports, both professional and informal. And that you're, if you're going to have an impact on the system level, if you're going to heal the system, you have to do the same and bring people into into a collective alignment. And that's that's where the 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 connection between wraparound and system of care really comes into play, right? Because it's in that system of care architecture, if you will. So back to engineering language. Mm-hmm. It's in that system of care architecture that the power is found, um, uh, moving us, giving us a blueprint, if you will, uh, for moving from um, uh, good ideas around working together, let's cooperate, let's coordinate, to something on the a far side of the spectrum, uh, closer to integration, right? High collaboration. Uh, I, I love the work of... Um, a Horwath and Morrison in Canada. It's about 15-year-old work where they they've created this um, uh, spectrum of uh, collective impact, and they take you from uh, low coordination, so just cooperation, right? And we've been cooperating for years in public systems for kids and families, but moving to the far right of that spectrum, which is integration, mm-hmm. uh, not the same, right? It, it's one thing to pass off a referral for a kid and say, I did my job. I referred the kid. I'm all done now. Mm-hmm. Close my case. It's another thing altogether to ensure that the engagement has happened and that the young person is actually fully connected to the new provider, that the transitional work has been completed. And you can't do that if you're in disconnected systems. You have to be engaged in with the next transitional care episode provider, if you will, uh, so that the the collaboration is uh, is is high and uh, and seamless, and a system of care gives us that blueprint. Particularly in California, it's a it's such an unnatural act for systems to collaborate. Mm-hmm. Um, we we make it very difficult for them uh, because we send uh, individual sectors money and policy right. uh, and mandate separately, typically. Mm-hmm. For, for the most part, so we certainly have historically, although there are exceptions to that. And, and that, you know, leads us back to the post, uh, the, the LinkedIn post, because one of, the, one of the examples I think I cited in there was the Family First Prevention Services Act. Mm-hmm. And 
bless the feds for for getting major parts of that right, not just in terms of moving the dollars in a wavered format to the front end, right, for kids in welfare and probation, but um, for recognizing that we wanted to tap into those uh, those Medicaid dollars yep. as yep. a pay for first resort yep. for the evidence based prevention dollars. So what it does is it really forces the hand of states and counties to recognize, all right, we're going to have to spend the Medicaid dollar first in this case, not last. Mm-hmm. And in order to do that in California, if you're if you're not in a super agency or a blended system, you're going to have to get with your partners and pull them in the sandbox with you uh, uh, and uh, figure out how you're going to maximize that so that you can uh, you can actually do, do it the way it's intended. So um, it's a system of care really gives you that that um, that the pathway, if you will. I, I often use the, the metaphor of a sandbox um, because it's just so powerful and, and um, uh, it invites us to reflect on the fact that there are toys in the sandbox but it took tools to build the sandbox and you have to have both and you have to share uh share it as well the 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 architecture part of system of care is only one piece though Mm -hmm. um a system of care is also ideological right Mm -hmm. like you can't just share stuff you have to actually re-identify yourself Mm-hmm. as one among many in the sandbox. So you're not in the sandbox to perform a function. You're in the sandbox to be part of the community of the solutions. Yeah. And that's really hard for folks to do, to share, to begin to re-identify in such a way that they can share power consistently mm-hmm. and authentically because you have to challenge your own people, right? You do. And yourself. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. You're not just a probation officer anymore. You are one caring professional amongst a team of professionals responsible for the care and, and well-being of this young person along with their parents. Yep. You're not just here to enforce the code or enforce the law on the kid because he made a mistake, right, in the case of a probation kid. I call this sometimes the zen of system of care. It's, this is the ideological piece, right? So you've got the architectural piece, the practical piece of how you share resources and, uh, uh, and how you co-locate, how you blend the dollars, all the technical aspects, that blueprint. But you also have to have leaders who can figure out and understand there's a Zen piece to this, which is I got to shed my old skin. Yeah. I got to grow new skin and see myself as part of the whole. It's the um, the the uh, Borgification to borrow a Star Trek thing. Right. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> I have to adopt the best aspects of my partnership yeah. and become something new to be effective in this uh, in this system. So there's a bit of a metaphysical, almost spiritual, if you think about it. I, I, I love to, 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 to ponder with people sometimes over uh, uh, in quieter moments around the, the really deep spiritual aspect of this, because um, if, you're a, if you're a spiritually minded person, you know, um, particularly um, if you're a, a subscriber to some of the, uh, the Hindu Buddhist teachings, you know, this concept of non-duality, right? Like mm-hmm. n- none of us exist individually, right? Like we are part of a massive energy pool, if you will, or a collective wholeness. Yep. And system of care is that yes, it on is. behalf of kids and families. So there's this, again, I, fer- I fer- refer to it affectionately as the Zen of systems of care. I, I drive some of my uh, clients and partners crazy when I talk <laughs> about this, but it's just so unnatural to see yourself as part of that whole when you have mandate after mandate and reform after reform and initiative after initiative that you have to implement. Yeah. And uh, and because there are time frames, uh, the, the, often these dollars are what we call one time monies in California or limited time frame monies. You want to hurry up and spend them, uh, which uh, is it's great to have them, but it can create havoc with your um, with your long term budgeting processes. There's just so much to attend to. And there's so much uh, reform fatigue initiative fatigue going on in california the other reason for system of care as a solution or a pathway to implement reform is that when you're in a high functioning partnership with other department heads or other managers or other team members at the practice level you can share the burden for that reform right so you're not in this alone Mm -hmm. you're you're part of a team that has multiple reforms um and so you don't you're not on an island uh, you, you're sharing the sandbox, sharing the toys, and you get access to your partner's toys to do all that 
implementation work. Um, so yeah, it's a it's a complex thing. We're getting better uh, uh, about that, not just FFPSA, but um, in California again, the community schools work. Um, uh, there's, uh, I, I, I've, I've just written a, a concept paper. I'm not sure if we'll publish it at some point, but it calls out the very um, relatively specific interface between and, and, and codependency, if you will, between a local school-based uh, community system uh, where there are health and human services and other resources and supports available. It's almost like a family resource center on a school okay. campus, right? Health clinics. Etc. All located within the school environment, but you can't do that at least in California without ask, without uh, access to the county level mm-hmm. health and human service systems, uh, law enforcement, the resources of the county health uh, and social services partners. So that your 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 microcosmic application at the school site is mutually dependent upon the system of care. System of care, of course, is dependent uh, on the application of its resources within the school site. So there's this this commingling uh, of of uh, impact mm-hmm. that you can only get when those people are all connected. And this is where system of care again gives you the blueprint for that. At least uh, that's the intent. And you, you actually, with all the things you just said, um, reinforced for me when you think about what California's created, and you certainly have. Uh, been one of the leaders in this process around California's integrated core practice model for systems, in particular the the um, for children and families, youth and families. But this can apply when you think of systems so beautifully. As a matter of fact, it's set for that reason, so we can ultimately work with those that we serve in a in a, co- uh, a collaborative, coordinated way. Exactly. As I said before, the 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 um, process of collaboration is pretty unnatural in, pu- in public uh, health and human services. And so we need um, we need a book of scripture, right, or a guidebook that is common, universal, uh, singular to that system. And California uh, has worked very hard to, uh, to support and endow uh, what we think is a pretty unique practice model. You know, every Every state, almost every state that I can think of, has a welfare practice model. There are other um, cross-sector models or crossover practice models between two partners, typically welfare and probation or welfare and mental health. But no state has attempted what California is attempting to do, which is to have a, a fully system-wide practice model that would apply to not just welfare and mental health, but probation, special education, yep. developmental intellectual disabilities providers, and to all of their partners. So it's been multiple years now. The vision for this really came um, <clears throat> not just out of system of care, but some of California's early continuum of care reform work okay. uh, when um, when I think it kind of dawned on a couple of us uh, in, in a meeting I can, I can recall uh, in this uh, joint CCR planning meeting I want to say it was back in 2017, 2018, that what what was really needed was a common language, right, for how those partners were going to get together. And California's practice model has um, been empirically um, drafted based on some really solid theory, uh, not just from wraparound, but uh, from uh, strengthening families. Uh, theory and others, and it has uh, what, what what I think sets it apart on some level is a combination of practice behaviors for social workers, probation officers, care coordinators, therapists, mm-hmm. nurses, whatever. Uh, but but above and beyond that, there's a set of leadership behaviors that, if followed, mm-hmm. they become the um, the they become the the behavioral catalysts for me and you being in the sandbox together mm-hmm. we have our differences and our responsibilities but if we have these shared leadership behaviors we're going to treat each other in the same way we're going to root ourselves in trust and respect we're going to hold ourselves mutually accountable we're going to come into kind of sh- sh- shareism i call it we so often talk about equal I responsibility like <laughs> it's not it can't be equal equal invites us to say well this is my 50 percent, and this is yours mm-hmm a shared responsibility is different. It's a commingled responsibility that just because those outcomes are yours doesn't mean I shouldn't 
have some responsibility for them. So we break down the, the actual details of the uh, the obligation. So they're not they're not singularly held. They're held by the collective. And that's very difficult to, to do. It's it's a mindset. Sometimes it's completely foreign to to people who've grown up in systems that say this is your swim lane. Mm-hmm. This is my swim lane, and neither the twain shall meet. Right. Um, and you certainly, of course, need a uh, you need a level of clarity around function, of course, for accountability purposes. But otherwise, we gotta we gotta break all those things down because that's where the impact comes when we're in the collective. Well, I especially like the um, the video because it used to be instinctual when we're in the sandbox and that shareism, which I'm going to I love that um, in terms of to to co-create, coexist, co-plan all these wonderful things that can happen. So if, you, if folks haven't seen this wonderful video, I'll make sure that it's um, it's listed somewhere. If you can share with us um, where it is. But I can remember that ice cream scoop that you shared in this video mm-hmm. and how the other person in the sandbox used that ice cream scoop to be a stop sign. And yes. <laughs> and not not thinking that way. And say, oh, that's a great idea. That's that shareism. Yeah. But it doesn't take away from our own responsibilities, our own deliverables and that coexistence and, and getting more Zen um, and, and working collaboratively as a team. That's where we're going to get into the real transformational aspects that John Lyons talks about as the uh, uh, TCOM approach, where we want to work towards transformational collaborative outcomes uh, management. So I absolutely find that to be incredible. Now. There's also these resources that I've just dug into, everything that you shared with me when I first arrived um, in support of California's uh, rollout in all 58 counties, the interdisciplinary care team um, approach and the the way that can be created and, and built uh, in each county can be very unique, but it does have structure. And uh, Yeah, uh, yeah. Th- th- and this goes back to that same meeting I mentioned uh, uh, a, f- a few years back where uh, – not only did we kind of look at each other and think, well, we need a common practice model, mm-hmm. um, but we need a blueprint that can be mutually owned. And it was at that point when um, in my in my role as a consultant to the state uh, departments doing some of that work, they uh, invited me to to take a few weeks and look at their research and, and to put together a draft uh, formulary of what would go into a a local memorandum of understanding mm-hmm. uh, that could support the work and um, and so we uh, this was this was fun and easy work because again this was known from system of care right like you know that you have to share the information yep. uh, both the micro data and the macro data if you will or the the client level youth level data and the system level data you have to share the dollars. Uh, in a maximized way, uh, you have to have shared leadership, um, and you have to anchor that all in community. So we we we've come to call these the four pillars of of system of care in California. Um, but there are uh, seven others. The state um, put a couple more on top of the uh, kind of research based ones I presented to them. I think I had nine, okay. eight or nine in my uh, draft of them, and and they wanted a couple more added. So we have eleven in California each. This part of the unique uh, um, position we're in, uh, uh, and we could talk about this for uh, literally hours, but <laughs> California's uh, counties, all 58 counties, have submitted uh, a memorandum of understanding that has some articulation in it, wherein the five, at least the five primary agencies responsible for kids and families in that community, in that county, are going to live together. So, what is our sandbox going to look like? Right? Uh, so on top of those four pillars, um, we talk about uh, uh, um, the use of an inter- inter- interagency placement committee. So how we're going to solve the needs of our kids with really complex needs, how we're going to get together and make sure that we can keep them in community, keep them at home, uh, keep them uh, connected to their culture, right? Uh, instead of sending them out of state, uh, which was the norm when I was a young social worker, uh, California had four, five, six hundred kids placed out of state in group homes. Uh, and today, uh, in the court system, uh, it's next to zero. That's uh, fantastic. And it was, it's been painful. It's been hard. And wraparound had a lot to do with that. But that interagency placement committee is a big piece of that. We we have a, a piece in the local MOU that talks about assessment, right, and uh, what that means to the partners. And, you know, to, to get a grasp of the complexity of this, 
um, while the uh, the cans, the child adolescent needs and strengths inventory, you know, John's mm-hmm. uh, tool is used uh, by and between welfare and mental health. Uh, each of those systems, as well as their partners, use other tools, right? So there are numerous assessment or screening devices that we use to identify the strengths and needs of young people and their caregivers when they come into care. Well, how a partnership not just completes that assessment process, but how they share it is super critical because you're setting the tone for how care is going to be delivered and coordinated and, and we have historically invited families, unfortunately, and co- clients to tell their story over and over again, which re-traumatizes, of course, and uh, it's all unnecessary. Um, uh, but we have, to, we have to do those four pillars. We have to do good entry work. Um, uh, and, and you have to really attend to these processes. And some counties, of course, are uh, um, taking it uh, with great seriousness and uh, investing in it and have begun to recognize the power of it. Um, if we get time, we can talk about outcomes management and how to track the system impact, right? But mm-hmm. um, uh, that that's not one of the elements that's required in California. And and it, notwithstanding that the challenge, and notwithstanding the, the the powerful place we're at because of this work in California, there there's still great risk that it won't work. Uh, we we have to follow through um, and not be distracted. Yeah. By and that was part back, so back to where we started, right? Like mm-hmm. part of the part of the dilemma in in having a legislature that can write you a check for whatever problem you've got, like California does, mm-hmm. is that a, a department head has to go chase that money, right? Like, okay, there's a new allocation for this program, and locally their board of supervisors or their county executive office will say, go get those dollars because you know we want another three hundred thousand dollars for this program. Or in a case like LA County, it's you know it's in the millions of dollars. Go get that because we need that for our budget. What that does is that that puts leaders on a um, uh, a, a um, like a, what, what's the word for a rodent wheel? Like you're you're, you're what? Oh you're, yeah, the hamster with the um, yeah. You're chasing, you're chasing your tail, right? Because you're always going after the dollars, and you can never attend to the implementation of the re-engineering, right? You mm-hmm. you you can't ever wear this hat long enough yeah. to get your system re-engineered because you're always chasing the next bling. Mm-hmm. And the problem, again, with that is self-evident, that all you're doing is re-wallpapering your services and programs, uh, never breaking down the walls and rebuilding them so that they're effective. And um, what what the system of care does is invites us into that. But back to the the county systems, uh, um, you know, some of the counties will will, will not be super effective at this because it takes time and money. And resources to do this. You have to again reshape the way you think. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we're hopeful that in the largest counties, that uh, maybe the 10 biggest counties in California, if we can get this done, we're going to reach 70-75% of the the kids in the system. I, I, I want to mention Ken one other thing that there are actually uh, a couple of flaws with the legislative um, uh, the roots of of the system of care uh, work going on in California. We we wrote the system of care legislation in California with a focus on foster youth, okay. um, which was, uh, again, not a fatal flaw, but it's, uh, it is a flaw because what it, what it then invites of local leaders is to, is to view this from a lens of, well, those are foster, this is for foster kids only, right? So I do that sandbox work that we've just been talking about, but it's only on behalf of the foster kids. Mm-hmm. And the flaw in that, of course, is you can't build a system of care for one cohort of kids. The system, that's not a system. No. That, that leaves you um, not concerned about the other sector's kids, right? And we know that a young person who's struggling in school and at home is only a heartbeat away from welfare entry or probation entry. So if I'm a welfare director, those are my kids too. Mm-hmm. But if I'm overly focused on my system of care kids, I don't worry about the special ed kids, the probation kids, or the, the community kids, right? Mm-hmm. So. This is why uh, this is why that the way the state um, wrote the law is a little bit funky. And we also left out uh, a primary piece of what the empiricism would invite us for in terms of system of care, which is the, the voice of family and 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 caregivers. Right. The voice of lived experience or lived expertise. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
the folks that 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 um, first wrote the law um, uh, asked me a little bit about this when they were designing it, and uh, I reflected that I thought uh, in some counties they would they would find this easy because they they're doing it already. The the people with lived experience, uh, people who've been through their systems, are present in some counties, and they could inform. Uh, the development and be part of the leadership council, so to speak, that's required. But in many counties, that's just not present. And it's such um, it's such a challenge to develop the resources, to find and develop the resources for a parent and youth uh, expertise in terms of leadership and governance mm-hmm. um, uh, that, that I thought it would be a, a huge obstacle to the long-term success. So we left that out uh, by design. So now in phase two, we have to go back and reclaim that. And some counties are actually doing that mm-hmm. uh, kind of organically. If you like, if you have a local department head in a, in a county, they understand that you can't build a system of care without the voices of uh, parents and youth. So they're they're taking that on, even though it's not a required part of um, the assembly bill that, that puts systems of care in place. Well, absolutely. When you said the family voice and, and, and making sure that you're building this and continually moving forward, uh, even if it's not written exactly, the open forums that you uh, facilitate and the guest speakers or the co-facilitators of these forums are amazing. And that brought me right when you're mentioning um, the impact and, and having a, a family voice, uh, caregiver's voice was Carolyn Cooper and the last session around um the, uh, the importance of getting families to the table. And these open forums could be a, a, an entire discussion, many hours. So I'd love to hear how um, these yeah. were created and how they're. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, just uh, just my sense uh, probably a year or so ago. So, so to back up a little bit, we, we, mm-hmm. we started a uh, system of care implementation uh, about a little over two years ago. The state um, endowed about seven full-time employees, some really talented uh, um, young people, bright, uh, bright folks, um, but, but for the most part, we're not grounded in system of care. Okay. Um, and so uh, the state has struggled, uh, not just due to, to, um, to that factor, but of course we were entering the pandemic right as the legislation was taking effect. Um, there are a lot of factors for why the state has really struggled, but about halfway through, so about a year ago, um, uh, as a consultant to the state, it, it, uh, it frustrated me enough uh, that, that the technical assistance was not availing itself uh, to the field. So I thought, well, what can I do? So, um, you know, I just I grabbed a couple partners and said, you know, could we, could we put together a series of open forums where we can just do some kind of organic, spontaneous, if you will, peer-to-peer mm-hmm. conversations. So for four or five months now, we've been holding uh, twice a month um, open forums, uh, one with a focus on juvenile probation uh, and one more generic to the larger system of care. And um, each month we have uh, six, eight, 10, 12 uh, people come in and we often have a guest. And Carolyn was our guest at our event in April and you got a chance to meet her uh, uh, just a great voice for uh, parents, uh, a founder of United Advocates for California's uh, Children and Families. Uh, Carolyn's been doing this work uh, for more than 45 years, I think, and still going strong. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she shared some wisdom. And um, this last uh, week, I hosted a um, an open forum for juvenile probation with uh, Chief Brian Richard uh, from El Dorado County uh, recently head of uh, the Chief Probation Officers of California Association, just a, a, um, a gentleman who understands uh, the power and effect of leadership uh, and um, how to how to impact change. You know, and, and no system in California has uh, improved and adapted and reformed itself better or faster than our juvenile probation system. Um, the numbers are just astonishing. Uh, they've had help from advocates, of course, but the chief probation officers in California uh, should, uh, as a collective, be celebrated and acknowledged far and wide for leading the, a national effort on uh, reducing out-of-home care, uh, um, uh, adopting authentic trauma-informed systems, right? So we, we have, in the last 10 or 15 years, really re-envisioned probation for juveniles in California such that now probation officers are 
really becoming healers. Yes, they uh, are. Reclaiming the heart of juvenile probation, where we started, you know, 45, 50 years ago in this country. Uh, it was not about a punishment. No. It was about recognizing that here's a young person in community who's made a mistake yep. and we need to help them. Uh, how can we help them learn? Yeah. Um, uh, and so we reclaimed that, I think, and and with the vision from the, the, the chief probation officers and their leadership, there, there'll be great things coming. Um, yeah, I've, I've, tr- I've been trying to get the word out to folks that I talk to across the country and beyond, uh, embodying uh, restorative justice and the concepts of the reason why we're, we're bringing, you know, the children, youth into the system is not to punish, it's, it is to restore, it's to build, and you are all doing that incredibly. So it's nice to uh, hear and when you give people the, the, the um, um I don't know, credit's not the right word, but acknowledgement that hard work does pay off and it impacts the lives of uh, those that we serve. And Yeah, and there's a secondary gain to all of this work that we should probably talk about, because if, if, if I am in a role as a social worker, therapist, probation officer, anywhere in the system, at both the practice level and at the leadership level, and I actually have impact because of the collective work that I'm doing with my partners, and I can see it, I can feel it, then my job distress drops significantly, right? Because I am actually connected to my personal mission. That's right. I, I have I have moved from what the systems, government systems wanted me to be, which was a paper pushing, pencil wielding bureaucrat, mm-hmm. which if we're honest and frank here, that's what we've done the last 40 years to most social workers in this mm-hmm. country, at least, you know, I, I got to get my court reports and my assessment forms in done because the judge is going to have my hide if I don't do it right. And that, the only thing I get measured on is whether I'm timely. <laughs> so what what integrated court practice, system of care, uh, trauma-informed care invite us to do is to recognize that the relationships have to be as important or more important than the rules. Yeah. We have to reset again the mind that we cannot deliver healing services from a rules-based platform. As much as the accountability is important for the dollar to the taxpayer and to the legislature and to our bosses and to the feds, it's important stuff. No one's saying it's not critical. But no kid and no caregiver ever cared or got better because our court reports were in on time or because our compliance reports were done the right way. They get better when we sit in quiet, sacred space with them and hold their grief with them. Yep. And we don't do that in government. No. So what integrated core practice, system of care, 2083 is all about is giving an architecture and an ideology mm-hmm. so that we can be healers again. Yeah. Because that's the only way we're ever going to fix the system. And so often people say, well, let's get back to the basics. I, I, I tend to say, well, that can kind of push that aside, saying it's not important using the term basics or the word basics. Instead, get back to the foundation of the work, asking social workers, people who join this field, what was the reason why you did this? I wanted to make a difference in the life. I wanted to serve. Um, and, it, and it's amazing how it parallels to the values and principles of the integrated core practice model, um, the values and principles of wraparound, and truly the mission of our own practice, uh, whether we're social workers, family therapists, probation officers, our mission isn't to do exactly what you said, the uh, the paperwork. It, it reminds me of, of um, Venetia Fields was her name, and we were trained in uh, the system that I came from in New Jersey, uh, uh, Milwaukee. And Vernicia said, if we do the processes correctly, paperwork will follow. There's no, you know, because we we have to do the paperwork. It's necessary, but it's not the leading part of it. And I'll always channel her and I give her full credit, uh, learning from really wonderful people. And again, I learned so much from this uh, this chat. And it also goes back to some of the foundational stuff that you you read about. Um, it's been a while since I read the book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. But when Stephen Covey talked about the um, the four L's uh, that that universal to all human beings who ever set foot uh, on this uh, uh, this earth, is that uh, people want to live and live safely, and to be able to be around people that love and care for them, and be able to learn, use that knowledge, you know, to leave a legacy and. Um, 
And I think the I know the work that's being done in California and the things that they're being built are built solidly so that um, the foundation is strong. And uh, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I love uh, the, the late, great Steve Covey uh, uh, was just uh, on the cutting edge of so much. One, one of the um, principles that that uh, has been powerful, both professionally and personally for me, is this idea of uh, seeking first to understand right before I'm understood. Mm-hmm. And uh, you'll appreciate this, Ken. For years, I, 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 when I trained to, uh, in some scenarios, I, I was crediting Steve Covey for this. Mm-hmm. And uh, a couple of years back, this uh, lovely old gentleman came up to me after a training, and he said, he said, you do know that St. Francis of Assisi <laughs> had a prayer 2,000 years ago, right, 1,800 years ago. And I said, no, I didn't, but thank you for educating me. Yes, ma'am. So, so now, uh, while Dr. Covey had some beautiful articulation for this in so many ways, uh, you got to give credit to um, early Catholic saint, right? Uh, That's Tom, right. Uh, St. Francis of Assisi for, for putting that on the table for us. It's such a it's such a, um, a centering human principle, right? The, talk about collaboration again. So this, is that, this is that spiritual metaphysical piece of system of care, right? Like, That's right. If I can practice that principle of seeking mm-hmm. first to understand you, mm-hmm. and you're willing to do the same for me, yeah. then we have this consistent open space into which understanding can be churned through. Yeah. Neither of us digging our heels in in any particular location to say, wait, you got to get me first, Ken, before we can be partners. Mm-hmm. We have, again, open space is always there for us. We call that we call it emotional intelligence now, yes, right? That's right. That's, right. <laughs> that's really all it is. That's it's right. Just IEQ. That's it. And I love the. I always go back to the video now. That's my that's my Zen moment when you get back to the foundational stuff. And I remember it was either my my grandfather. Someone told me he said that's uh, to listen first. That's why we've been given two of these ears and only yeah. one mouth. One mouth. Yeah. <laughs> so they broke it down to the most simplistic for me. And exactly. sometimes the foundational stuff is that it's it seems so simple in concept, but putting into practice is the uh, is the key to everything. Yeah, it's really hard uh, on on so many levels to um, to stay in that place, right, where we can be in a high emotional intelligence place vis-a-vis other leaders when we have the stress of the work yeah. um, and the, the workforce issues that um, organizations are encountering now are going to really stress us. Um, we're seeing it in almost every sector in California. It's the perfect storm. Um, and a bit ironic again, which is again back to the first post you started us off with, is that we can we can have all all the resources financially in the world, but if there isn't workforce to spend the money on behalf of kids and families, what good is the money? Right, sure. it's not going to get spent. Uh, so let's slow ourselves down, mm-hmm. um, take a big deep breath in terms of mandates and and reform opportunities. Uh, and I think the state's understanding this. There, there are some early uh, conversations happening around what potentially a re-engineered system might look like in California at the highest levels, and that's encouraging. It is uh, that um, that there's a willingness and openness to to ponder on that. I think, uh, in fact, uh, um, Health and Human Services Secretary uh, Gali next even next week is going to host a webinar, and there have been some conversations happening that that the that the Health and Human Services Agency have uh, put on the last few months, all kind of focused on what what would it take to re-engineer, mm-hmm. right? Like like we can't just keep doing the same thing. No. Uh, it's not it's not going to fix it. So what what do we, how do we build a sandbox? And this is a perfect time because again, having <clears throat> been impacted by a worldwide pandemic, and what's really I think come to surface, which has always been there with health equity or inequities of health, social determinants of of, of health and wellness, and this is a time and moving forward to do the healing. Um, there was a great session that you had in open forums around bringing um, a researcher from the University of California around organizational trauma, things that we need to do um, to take care of ourselves, and uh, so. I hope that the listeners who are tuning in and they're from California um, reach out and, and want to participate and learn in these open forums. So the numbers, um, they're just, they, they increase, but then the increasing will be impacted in a, um, a more exponential way, like kind of a, 
we need all the help we can get to do the work right, right? None of us has all the answers. Not at all. And the open forum is named that just just to, uh, to reinforce that that sense that your your voice, no matter where you are in whatever county or state, you could be part of helping the field move. And uh, and so really appreciate Ken your uh, your willingness to um, to kind of spread the word for us and evangelize the the open forums as much as possible. I I probably didn't finish that story right. So uh, you asked how they came about. So recognizing that the state was struggling with its technical assistance we we just uh, wanted to create the these hour-long sessions twice a month and um doesn't cost anybody anything other than you know bring your bring your sack lunch um and we can get you the links uh to the uh the zoom invites for anyone that's interested uh as well so yeah and you model what again we do in wraparound and and the integrated uh, core practice model where we want to celebrate success and creating a safe environment so that sharing starting off with what's going well what's what we're doing to celebrate and what still needs to get worked on so you model uh, very well and and bring in wonderful people that um, for me just want to join that team immediately saying sign me up <laughs> right on right on the next one coming up uh, I think next week. Uh, our guest is going to be Sarah Rock, who is the one-time uh, um, Office of Child Abuse Prevention Chief here in California and yeah. now doing some consultancy in the community. There's so much opportunity to take that system of care and move it upstream, right, in terms of prevention mm-hmm. and community impact. And Sarah's going to share some some tidbits, uh, and then we'll have a conversation with whoever joins next week. So oh, I'm so looking forward to that. And I got to say one more thing before I, I can't believe the time flew by so quickly. Um, you're doing this in a way that's so mindful and um, detailed in, in terms of how you're un- unrolling this and letting the, the, the energy and the synergy move forward. Um, you were mentioning there's a, there was a toolkit that was created back in the 90s, if, mm. I remember, if I recall correctly, and it still fits what you're doing today. Yeah. So I think that is a testament in and of itself that you've always remained, California has always remained focused on the goal. Well, I, I appreciate the positive slant on that, Ken, uh, because from another angle, one that comes more naturally to me, I look back at that 1998 work and I think, what the hell? Uh, <laughs> The state, uh, through what was then the Kathy Wright Technical Assistance Center, mm-hmm. uh, had a SAMHSA grant and built this wonderful toolkit for system of care. We affectionately now call that system of care 2.0 because it was the second effort. Mm-hmm. This is now the third, right? But that toolkit, as you've seen, uh, it has just a rich, just a plethora of resources, including how to bring the, uh, uh, braid the money and blend the dollars um, uh, resources for sharing information and solving the uh, the uh, privacy, uh, confidentiality, information sharing issue. So it was all there, and yet we didn't implement it. That's the downside. And the reason this, uh, I, I ask myself, what the hell is? Uh, it was right there in front of us. Now, and here was the flaw. And what's different about 2083 this time is because it was Samsung money that endowed that. Okay. And it was identified as the mental health issue. We gave we the state gave it to the mental health plans and said, "Oh, that's your system of care thing. Go build that." Mm-hmm. And so, what does what do we do in every sector when we get the obligation from the state? We we do it right. We build it, and they mm-hmm. built them, mm-hmm. and we built these little micro systems of care within the mental health plan. Okay. And we still call it system of care in most counties. It's not a system of care, but that's what we call it. Yeah. Uh, and then four years later, there was a class action lawsuit for our failure to get kids in the mental health system. Sorry, kids in the welfare system, the mental health care they need. So obviously, the system of care wasn't working. So uh, hence the need for system of care 3.0. Um, it would have been yet. Yeah, I, I, I so easily get critical of the state, uh, um, which is what they pay me for, actually. But uh, we could have two years ago taken that 1998 toolkit mm-hmm. and just revised it and refined it and thrown it to the field. Didn't, didn't want to do that apparently. So, well, uh, but it's out there and it is. we can go get it. Mm-hmm. Well, I love it because it parallels really with the, um, with the, the, the focus of wraparound uh, is yeah. that 
the team, you know, continues to move forward. We'll revise that plan. And it seems like things that were created are now fitting. And so aptly for um, my work with OPICA, their person-centered intelligence solution is putting the pieces together, the acronym that, that highlights. And I can't think of a better group in what I've seen um, having joined. And I, I really thought those open forums were lasting much longer than they have already uh, in moving forward. So the momentum's there. The time is right. Um, and we did have we did have a worldwide pandemic, so that things need to you know be focused on upward and better, and um, don't go back and say, well, this is how we're going to do. It. We're going to go back to the way things were. This is a perfect opportunity. They have the right people. Um, yeah. Step forward, step forward. Absolutely. You know, your, your reference to Opica here is uh, solid because you know Kate Cordell, the founder at Opica, had a vision for what her expertise. And what her mindset could do to make to build bridges right for the system, yeah. and that's really what drives Opica, and uh, that's what that's why they're on the cutting edge of collaborative healthcare, uh, informationally, and it's going to be uh, remarkable to see what comes from that. Well, thank you so much, Richard, and thank you for your time. And um, if people do want to reach out to Richard, there's so many ways. We'll make sure that we'll uh, get the link out. Um, Please reach out to me at Opica because I do want to be uh, labeled uh, Richard's biggest fan, not because of my size, but because uh, <laughs> of the enthusiasm he brings. So thank you very much, Richard. Ken, it's been my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Innovation and Care Collaboration Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple, or Google, and join us each week as we invite in thought leaders in health and human services to discuss the latest trends in healthcare and technology.